All right, Shabbat Shalom. How is everybody? A couple of you are doing great. Awesome. A couple of you are streaming the OU game on your phone. I like you, Ray. I like you a lot. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't a coincidence that I swapped teaching slots so that I made sure my teaching wasn't on the day that the OU had a big Texas Tech game. Sorry, Daniel. Um, we're glad you guys are here. We've only got two weeks left before we uh, were into Sukkot. I want to remind everybody that next week will be the last service before the Feast of Tabernacles here. We will be at the Feast uh, for the 12th and the 19th. So next week we'll be here. That will be our last service before the Feast of Tabernacles where we will not have service here on either of those Saturdays. And then we will be back after the 19th for services, and we'll resume our normal schedule for that. Um, try to go through some of these things here. Oh, um, Isabel Judah, it's the Sabbath, so we, we don't encourage selling on the Sabbath, but Isabel Judah is selling cards. Um, they are Marvel cards or some sort of cards like that. She's raising money for something, and so I'm going to go ahead and make the announcement that if you have any uh, desire to get a card, talk with her about how you can do that after the Sabbath. So, um, right? Did I do that right? Okay, awesome. Just want to make sure, check with the boss. Our next men's attack is going to be uh, Sunday, November 10th. Uh, Ephraim Judah is going to be spearheading the uh, conversation for that. Uh, location is still to be determined, but we will be providing coffee for that. Young adults, men, um, you guys are definitely all welcome to come join us. Uh, the last time we were there, we talked about different uh, men in the Bible, characteristics they had, and then uh, characteristics we felt that... Uh, were ones that we should be representing uh, with them in our daily life. And so uh, each time we go through a little bit of a different topic, have a little bit of a different uh, conversation, but it's a great time of bonding for the men to get together. Um, we had our Love Your City outreach at the Great uh, Grace Outreach Center here in Norman uh, this past week. Um, we're going to be holding off on any outreach stuff until after the Feast of Tabernacles. And so just want to, uh, if you guys have any ideas, um, some of the soup kitchens, any of the uh, other organizations in Norman or Oklahoma City that you know that could use volunteers, please contact Stephen or Alicia Drews, and we'll definitely be able to uh, try to add those to the schedule coming up. Obviously, with the weather changing, uh, we're going to be looking at doing our hat, scarf, and glove drive again for the homeless. Um, that was very successful last year. We were able to donate over 100 sets of hats, gloves, and scarves to homeless people. And so uh, we want to definitely take care of the uh, ones who are less fortunate than we are. And so that's, uh, those things are coming up in the fall. We have a very special birthday today. Um, uh, Titus, Titus, where are you, buddy? Come here, come here, hurry. Somebody told me that you're a year older today. Is it your birthday? Can we sing you happy birthday? Yeah? Okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Titus. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, buddy. All right, well, let's go ahead, stand up, find somebody that you uh, maybe don't know, somebody who's new, say Shabbat Shalom to them, introduce yourself, and uh, we're going to go ahead and start into our service today.
behind the veil Lord over heaven and earth God of Israel Come with your wisdom and power Clothing your honor and strength Lord hear the cry of our hearts Come on conquering
place father that you are holy you are righteous father blessed be your name in all the earth
away, days away from the fall feast, Father, the feast of trumpets, Yom Teruah, the time that has been prophesied of your son to come, to return all of your people to your kingdom, a kingdom that we will spend singing and praising you forevermore. Father, right now, as we head into this time, a time of joy, Father, we have people who are ailing. We have people who are experiencing back pain, knee pain, hip pain. People who are in recovery of surgeries. People who are going into re exploratory surgeries, Father. People who are struggling emotionally, spiritually, Father. Father, there is no doubt that the adversary is at work in this world, Father. There is no doubt that he wants to distract us from the blessings of you in this season that we're in. Father, continue to show yourself mighty on our behalf. Whether it be the physical ailments, Father, whether it be the emotional or the spiritual ailments that we have, Father. Just like Yeshua overcame the grave and overcame the cross, Father. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask humbly that you would give us the ability to overcome those ailments that are with us, Father. Father, blunt the plans of the enemy, whether it be in our community, whether it be in our houses, Father. Provide wisdom, discernment, and counsel for all, Father. Your word says, Father, that anything that is done in secret will be made known in the light. So during this time, search us, O Lord, reveal our hearts and bring it to light. That we may be able to repent and have joy in the fall feast, Father. That we might be able to rejoice before you, our King. This time of year, Father, is prophesied that Messiah will come and regather his people. And Father, we don't know when that'll be. You've told us to live. You've told us to continue to go forward, to occupy this domain until the return and to help usher in the return, Father. But let us not also forget the fact that one of these days you will be coming. Let us not get so caught up in the things around us that we've taken our eyes off you. For this congregation, this community, Father, and everybody that's in it, Father, we exist to praise you and to bring you honor and glory. Father, it's not a coincidence that you've provided a roof over our heads. It's not a coincidence that you've provided us jobs. It's not a coincidence that even when we don't know exactly what's going to happen next, that you always step in. You are always working 
to turn things to good for your people. Father, help us to see the little miracles that happen every day in our life. The moment that you show yourself to us. Father, for those who are traveling around this country in preparation for the fall feast, to come and gather with different brothers and sisters in Christ from all over the world, Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would just watch over them. That the Holy Spirit would guide them and protect them as they come and as they go. For it's in Yeshua's name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. All right, little ones. Time to bless the kids. more richness. So we thank you so much, Father, for this day. Father, we just declare your praise right now. Father, we thank you so much for the change in the season. We can feel the coolness in the air, Father, and we just thank you so much for that you offer renewal. You offer life, Father, and right now we turn our eyes to these kids, and these are the lives that you have given us, Father. Father, thank you so much that we get to experience the lives that we have, Father, our very own, but Father, we can invest in the lives of these children, Thank you, Father, that that is time well spent, that is investment well, well, well made, Father. Thank you for the blessings that these children are, Father, the richness that they add to us, Father, the refreshment that they bring, the renewal to our lives, Father. Thank you that you use them to sharpen us. Thank you that you use them to encourage us. And Father, right now for them, Father, I ask you just cause them to flourish in all that they do, Father. Protect them, Father, in, as we come to these fall feasts and and there's going to be a lot of people together and communing. And actually just keep them from getting illness right now in Yeshua's name. Just protect them. Cover them, Father. Um, may they be encouraged. And may they keep, be kept safe from any physical injury, Father. Any falls, cuts, bruises, whatever it be. And we thank you again, Father, for this time and this season. And I ask these kids to be just, uh, just so overjoyed, Father, at the feasts. The time of celebration. The time of renewal, Father. The time of feasting. May they be filled with joy, Father, and may we reap off of their joy as well. We commit them to you. In Yeshua's mighty name, amen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. One of my favorite quotes of all time, not only for its impact, but also its wittiness, is this. Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, 
today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. One of my favorite quotes of all time. One, because it's so witty and catchy and whoever came up with it is a genius. And two, because it's encouraging. It's encouraging not only today, but that quote, I don't know when it was written exactly, would have been encouraging a thousand years ago. It'll be encouraging tomorrow. It'll be encouraging a thousand years from now because of its profundity to exist outside of time. Today is a gift. Every single day is a blessing. That you wake up, every breath that you breathe is a miracle from God. In our Torah portion for this week, which is entitled Nitzavim, which means standing, which begins in Deuteronomy chapter 29 at verse 10, and then extends through the end of chapter 30, the word today is used half a dozen times, maybe more depending on your translation. Because what it is, is it's the word of Moses speaking, of course, about the covenant that God has with the children of Israel. And he says that I'm making a covenant with you today. Of course, he said this thousands of years ago to a group of the children of Israel that were getting ready to cross over into the promised land. And then he said one of the most profound things in all of scripture, I dare say, in verse 14 of chapter 29, he says, I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands with us today before the Lord your God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. One of the most encouraging pieces of scripture, because that means that God has made covenant with you no matter what time you live in, no matter where you live on earth. God has made covenant with you today. We serve a God that can declare the ends from the beginning and from ancient times, things that have yet to pass. And so he can speak words that exist outside of time. That when he said today, a thousand years ago, it actually means now. And here in the scripture, it says he's making covenant with us today. He's giving us an opportunity to make a choice. Because in our Torah portion, this is a, you know, Moses is laying it all out for the children of Israel. And these are some of the most impactful, powerful words speaking into the future, even though it was said a long time ago. He talks about how he's going to gather us from all the nations where God has scattered us. Verse 4 of chapter 30 says this, If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven from the Lord... From there, the Lord your God will gather you, and from there, he will bring you. He will bring you, and the Lord will bring you back to the land that our fathers possessed. That's a promise for us today. That wherever we've been scattered, our father Abraham never heard of Norman, Oklahoma. He never heard of Wawoka or uh, Potawatomi County and all the other weird names that we have here in the state of Oklahoma. Never heard of Chandler, Oklahoma, never heard of Dallas, Texas, or wherever we have lived in the course of our lives. We've been scattered into the nations, though we consider ourselves descendants of the ancients. Some of us, maybe we can trace our physical descendancy. Truth be told in scripture, none of that matters. Because if we've been adopted in and made sons of the living God through a testimony of Yeshua the Messiah, then we are all equal heirs to the inheritance of the land when the Lord is going to gather his people Israel back to the land. We all have a share in that. 
The prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 32 that the one thing that God will do with all of his heart is bring his people back to the land. He tells us to love him with all of our hearts. But then the one time in all of scripture that God says he's going to do with all of his heart is regather his people. What a blessing that is for us. Do you want to be regathered with all of the saints, the children of Israel? Do you want to go back to the land? To be in the possession of what your forefathers had, which was a gift from God, the inheritance to the people that he slaved, saved out of slavery? I want some of that. I'd like a piece of that. A gift from God? Sign me up. But we have to make a choice. We have to choose him. We can choose the ways of the world. We can choose where we live now. We can choose what we have now. Or we ourselves can make a commitment speaking into the future and say, I choose the Lord. I choose what the blessings he is going to give to me. God lays the choice out before us. He makes it very clear. Verse 15 of chapter 30. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply. All we have to do is make that choice. It's not a hard choice. It's really not. First of all, if you really think about it, if you're a good person, if you love the Lord, there, there is no choice. Choose life. But some people, that doesn't stop some people from hemming and hawing and choosing to do what the Lord has commanded them to do. In the ways that we've been commanded to act and to behave toward one another. To worship the Lord, to revere Him. We must make that choice. It's not too hard to make. The scripture is right here in front of us. Everybody has their Bibles. If you don't have a physical Bible in front of you, you've got a device in your pocket that you can pull up the Bible in a matter of a couple of seconds. And you can read these words that were spoken many, many years ago. The word of God is so near to us that we wouldn't leave home without it, honestly, because you can pull it up on your phone and you can read it. This is way more than it was back in ancient times before you had printing presses and that you had, everybody had their copy of the scripture. They did not. But today, we do. It's so very near to us, the choice is simple. Scripture also says here in our Torah portion, talking about how that this commandment that God is giving to us is not too mysterious. It's not so far off. It's not up in heaven that somebody would say, who will ascend to heaven and bring it down to us? In this world, we have airplanes. You can look up in the sky and there's people hovering above your head right now. Or that it's across the sea at the other end of the world. We have to go over the Nothing is too hard for us today. But then, so we have the words that are saying this, but then we have also the testimony of Yeshua. And Paul spoke exactly about this in Romans chapter 10, where it says, verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. 
But what does it say? The word is near to you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth that Lord Yeshua, that Yeshua is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The word is nearer to us than even our cell phone in our pocket. The word is in our hearts. If you have accepted the Messiah into your heart, the word is there. The covenant is there. The relationship is there. So for a cell phone that can fall out of your, fall out of your pocket, get broken, get lost, doesn't mean that the word is still far from you. Make the choice today. Who are you going to serve? What commandments are you going to keep? Who is going to be your master? Are you still going to be a slave to sin? Or are you going to be a slave to righteousness? You have to be a slave to somebody. We have to serve somebody or something. Otherwise, you might think yourself to be God. So submit yourself to the righteousness of the Lord. Submit yourself to the commandment and the statutes that God has given to us and instructed for us. That's why we read the word, that's why we follow the Torah portions, and that's why we walk in a testimony of Yeshua the Messiah. That is a truth, two witnesses, the written word of Moses and the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah. The word is very near to us. Make your choice today. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. Father, we have held a holy convocation, Lord, joined with the brethren. We thank you for choosing us from among all peoples, for gathering us, Lord, from wherever we have been, wherever we have been scattered to. Father, you first chose us. You first loved us. It is ultimately our responsibility to return that love back to you and to choose you. Father, we thank you for all the life that you've given to us. We thank you for every day that you allow us to wake up and to serve you and serve your kingdom as we labor to see that day come. We give you all the honor and glory and praise in our hearts, Lord. You are worthy of all of our worship, all of our praise. So, Father, I pray that we would all humbly submit to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your instruction. All the blessings that you give to us, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We pray your will be done in all things and your kingdom come very soon. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Gracious and benevolent Father, we invite your presence here today. We pray that you would be in our midst that you would bring forth this message, that you would prepare our hearts to receive it. May you teach us as we submit our lives to you, our King, our Master, and our Lord. Amen. There's been uh, three times in my life where I have had an experience that has been very um, rivetingly fearful, or should have been. Um, so I grew up, my dad's a farmer, and uh, I grew up on a farm in Illinois, and um, when I was helping my dad, uh, I was in college at the time, and over the summers I used to go help my dad. Um, one of the things that you do is when, when you've 
uh, harvested, for instance, the corn, um, you need to sometimes every couple of years balance the pH of the soil. And so one of the ways that you do that is you go up to the grain elevator and they've got these big, in the big silos, they've got these big stores of, of lime. Um, it's uh, calcium hydroxide is what it is, but everyone refers to it as lime. It's this very fine white powder. In fact, it's so fine that you can like, when you have a bucket of it or something, you can slap it and you see ripples in it like water. Okay, so it's, it's, it's super fine. Well, we went to the elevator and we loaded up the grain truck with uh, the lime to go take it and put it in the spreader and spread it on the field. And my dad is finishing up what he's doing and he says, uh, you know, go ahead and, and put the tarp over it so it doesn't all blow out on the road while we're traveling uh, back to the farm. And so I go up and I start spreading out the, the tarp. Over the grain truck, there's this, this rolled up tarp. You have to roll it out over the top of the grain truck so that what's in it doesn't blow out. Well, I start trying to unroll it, and it's stuck. It won't unroll. And so I get this brilliant idea, you know, 18, 19-year-old, um, get this brilliant idea that I'm going to climb up on the cab of the, the truck, and I'm just going to push out the, the roll, the tarp, so that it goes out. Well, I start doing that, and it's working for me, so I keep going. I end up getting so that I'm, I've got my knees on the tarp, and I'm pushing the tarp, and all of a sudden... I sink, and the tarp comes up to here, and I'm sunk in the grain truck, and the problem is that that lime is so fine that it kicks up, and it stole the air right out of my lungs. I could not breathe, and so it, it's, it's like I'm drowning with no water. And so I had, I'm, I'm scrambling and panicking, and I have to grab the tarp and pull myself up out of the truck in order to get out of that situation, roll onto the cab and start, <gasps> okay? So that was a moment that could have been very fearful in my life. There was another moment that took place years after that. Um, so I, it was a Labor Day or Memorial Day, I don't remember which one it was, but um, we went to, Melissa and I, it was shortly after we got married, um, we went down, we were living in Florida, and we went down to the local springs to go canoeing. And so we had a group of friends, we all went canoeing. And um, so we're, we go down to the springs, we go swimming, and then we're, you know, when we're done, we're coming back. And as we're coming back up to the area where we turn our canoes in, there were other people that were coming in the opposite direction, going to the spring, and one of the ladies that was with us, um, she had a friend, and they were passing each other, and they were like, oh, hi, 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 and they're busy talking, and they don't pay attention, and they run, ram, right into our canoe. Well... What had happened there was that I was in the back of the canoe, Melissa was in the front of the canoe, in the middle of the canoe was our friend with their newborn. And this newborn, like the life vest doesn't even fit on her. She's like two months old or something like this, three months maybe. And so over the canoe goes. And so I instantly grab the baby and hold her up above the water. And I'm kicking for all my life. And I can't reach the bottom. And I'm kicking. And I got my hands above the water. And no one's coming and taking this baby out of my hands. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to have to breathe at some point. And then I start thinking, well, I guess this is as good a way to die as any. And just before I'm about to swallow a bunch of water, 
the mom is able to, ha had righted herself on the canoe in a position to be able to reach out and grab the baby from me, so I come up and <gasps> grab a breath. There was a third time in my life. It was a little over 10 years ago. Uh, Melissa was pregnant with Hannah. Where is she? There she is. She was pregnant with Hannah, and uh, my wife gives birth very, very very quickly. Um, this labor was about 35 minutes from first contraction to baby. Um, we were at home. The midwife did not have time to get there. She was on the road. I had to call her, and she was on the road coming, and I had her on speakerphone, and I delivered a baby. No big deal, except that she came out and she wasn't breathing. So... I had to go through the process over the phone with the midwife of we were rubbing her, her back, we were tapping her feet, you know, we were doing everything we could to get her to, to kickstart and nothing was working. And so finally I had to do mouth to mouth and nose and after the fourth time of trying that, finally she starts breathing, you know, we had already suctioned everything out. Then she was breathing, then she pinked up, everything was fine. But this was a very, very tense moment, very fearful if you can imagine your, your child coming out not breathing. Now, in all three of these circumstances, these were very fearful circumstances. And yet somehow, not a credit to me in any fashion, somehow I was fairly calm through all three of them. Like I didn't, I wasn't gripped with fear in those circumstances, although I very well should have been. Those were situations where literally either my life or someone else's life was at risk. And yet, my boss, the boss I had at the time when Hannah was born, he, he's not a believer. He was raised in the Nazarene church and his dad was, you know, always talking to him about, you know, faith, but he, he rejected it. He couldn't believe how calm I was in retelling the whole story of what happened with Hannah. And how I was just pretty much even keeled for the whole experience. Now, any of you who know me, um, that's not me. Right? Like, I stress out. And I, I hulk out real quick. Okay? So, so for me to remain calm in that scenario is odd in the first place. But here's the thing. We all deal with those kinds of situations. They may not be quite so extreme, but we've all dealt with some type of anxiety in our lives. And we're all potentially still dealing with those things. Some of us have anxiety over financial issues. Some of us have anxiety over health issues. Some of us have anxiety over career changes and, and where our, our career path is going. Some of us might have anxiety over battling with the unknown. What's coming next? For me, it's the anxiety over the financial issues. I mean, have you seen how many people live in my house? Now, the irony of this is that in the three scenarios in which either my life or someone else's life was in, potentially in danger, I wasn't stressed, I wasn't anxious, I wasn't fearful in those circumstances. But when I run out of money before I run out of month, it stresses me out. And my anxiety spills out onto everyone around me, ask my family. I become a grouch. I am not fun to be around. 
Now, I'm already, use whatever word you want to use, tightwad, cheapskate, whatever. I don't, wow, look at all this lavish stuff. But when I stress over money, like everything I see is a dollar sign. Everything, everything, turn off the light, stop using that, why are you doing this, that's costing me money, everything turns into a dollar sign for me. And I'm not a pleasant person to be around in those times. Now, the problem is it's, it's also in those times that my awesome wife reminds me that Adonai is always taking care of us. He's never yet failed us. And we've been through some stuff. You know, our family, in, in 2010, the year we moved to Oklahoma, on our taxes, we were officially below the poverty line. We've experienced some things. Now, those things shouldn't be causing me stress. Because what I'm dealing with today, I've already seen him deliver me from far worse and yet I still allow it to affect me at times. Now I take a look then in here, and I see the unwavering faith of the heroes that are in our scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11 starts off, it's, of course, Hebrews chapter 11 is the famous chapter. It's about the, the hall of faith. Those who had such incredible faith that there are examples for today. It starts off in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There are plenty of times when I fail to live up to this standard. It's at these times when my faith is weak, shallow, and lacking in confidence. It's a far cry from being described as something like conviction in things not seen. Anxiety is natural. It's a normal part of life. Anxiety in your life is what keeps you from doing things you shouldn't do, from taking risks you shouldn't. As an example, 18 years, two months, and two days ago, I became a chicken. Total chicken. You see, prior to 18 years, two months, and two days ago, I did all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, I have broken bones and pins in the finger and, you know, uh, things that happen playing full contact football with the local mosque. Um, Our church played against the mosque every year and everyone broke bones every year. Um, You know, surfing on cars and, you know, just all kinds of stuff. I I was a risk taker because I was a thrill seeker. 18 years Two months and two days ago, I held this little creature in my arms and immediately knew I'm not doing that stuff anymore. Because this precious little thing in my arms now depended on me. And at that moment, like, I totally stopped taking risks. I still play on the Brent ball field, but that's about the only risk I take, okay? Everything else, like, I am so bland now compared to what I used to be like, but it's all because I know that there's someone who's depending upon me. 
So that's a good type of anxiety. However, that could be taken to the extreme. So I could be so anxious-ridden, fear-ridden by that thought that it can prevent me from doing things where a little risk is a good thing. Now, while anxiety and fear of things like risk of the unknown are natural, it's when we allow ourselves to become consumed by or affected by that fear on an everyday basis that we end up acting in an unnatural way. This type of anxiety and fear is what can paralyze us and lead us into situations where we exchange faith for worry. In this scenario, if I become so fearful about the fact that there are people that are depending upon me, then I can keep them all in a bubble, not allow them to leave the house, wrap them in bubble wrap if I happen to send them out somewhere, these kinds of things. That kind of anxiety is the opposite extreme. And that leads to a different unhealthy scenario. Anxiety, it's the result of worrying about the what-ifs. The what-ifs in life. You see, most of the things that we're anxious about are those things of what could happen. If this happens, how will I react? If this plays out, what will I do? Anxiety is generally not about the things that are happening right now. That's why in my opinion, I was able to stay calm in those three fearful situations I shared with you. Because in the moment, it's about dealing with the reality. You don't have time to overthink it and sit there and worry and dwell. That's what anxiety causes us to do. Anxiety occurs when we focus on all the possible potential outcomes of a situation rather than the actual reality of what's going on in front of us. And that's where we lose the battle between our ears. Anxiety becomes fear when in our minds we transform the what-ifs into will-bes. We take the potential and we accept it as the conclusion. This is how fear becomes our God in place of the one who should be king in our lives. We allow this fear to hover over us like some cloud that follows us around and shrouds the light of the sun from revealing the path that he set before us. Now this type of fear can be suffocating because we spend so much time and energy attempting to trap it inside and suppress it that it ends up becoming our master. You are a slave to whom you obey. Are we becoming concerned with obeying the concerns and worries that fight for our attention? Or are we obeying the one who is far greater than any problem that can ever arise? Here's the thing. If we think that because we've come to a place where we serve a great God, and we do, but if we think that that life of faith is nothing but lollipops and gumdrops, we're sorely mistaken. In fact, Paul told Timothy in his second letter to him, chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, 
all who desire to live a godly life in Yeshua HaMashiach will be persecuted. Ooh, thanks. Appreciate that. So you're telling me that your grace is a free gift, but now I gotta suffer. It's part of the process. See, he's gotta work all this stuff out of us. That hurts sometimes. The psalmist had this to say in Psalm 34, verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Ouch. I'm trying to lead a righteous lifestyle. You're telling me that I'm going to have many afflictions? Yeshua himself said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, you will be hated by all because of my name. Come and follow me? Now here's the thing. Fortunately for us, the two scripture references I just gave you were incomplete. See, I didn't read the rest of the verse for you yet. Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but Adonai delivers him out of them all. Matthew 10, 22, Yeshua says, you will be hated because of all, uh, you will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. There is a promise that comes with every warning. That promise is there is deliverance from that situation. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5 tells us that while sadness and weeping over our circumstances may occur, while we find ourselves in the midst of the dark, Yet, there is a sunrise coming. And there will be shouts of joy in the morning when we see the light of the sun. I don't care who you are or where you're at, that's some good preaching. Come on now. Now we are told the story in the scriptures where there was a group of friends who had every reason to be gripped by fear and paralyzed by anxiety. Daniel chapter 3 tells us this story. Now, in this chapter, we see that there's three guys. Their names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But they got their names changed. So we see here in chapter 3, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width, width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Everyone gets an invitation. If you're important at all, you're coming to this celebration. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, You are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a burning fire. 
Therefore, at a time when all the people had heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast out into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? This is the most powerful man on the face of the planet at this time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael respond to the king. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our Elohim, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Those are some men. Our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, I'm still going to worship him. I'm still not going to bow before men. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath and his facial expression was altered Toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, The flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The soldiers burnt to a crisp. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, 
I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High El. Come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around them and saw in regards to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the Elohim of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded their bodies up so as not to serve or worship any God except their own Elohim. Now, we know that Nebuchadnezzar has a pseudo transformation that takes place at that point. Because of the testimony of these men who stood up and said, we will not bow to this world. Our king is greater and will deliver us, even if he doesn't. We're still going to trust in him. They were not gripped by fear. They were not gripped by anxiety. They trusted that their king was greater than any other king. The men who threw Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah into the fire were burned up by the heat, yet not only did these men of faith not become destroyed by the blazing fire, but their clothes and their hair were completely unaffected. In fact, the only thing that burned when they entered the fire was the ropes that they had been bound with. Their bonds fell right off when the king entered their presence and walked through the fire with them. And this is not an isolated story. Because everyone in here has a testimony of him doing the same thing for them. When you find yourself being tossed into the fiery furnace, he will go with you into the fire. Not only will he protect you through the fire, but you won't even smell like smoke when you come out. That's what kind of king we serve. One that doesn't just rescue us from the fire because he could have. He could have snuffed out the fire. He could have somehow caused an earthquake to happen that destroyed the furnace. He could have done any of a thousand things to keep the men from going into the fire. But he didn't. Instead, he went through it with them. In the midst of the trial, he was there. He rendered the fire powerless to harm them. Whatever we might find ourselves anxious about, whatever we might spend time worrying about, whatever we are fearful of, 
it's insignificant in comparison to the power of his deliverance. Matthew chapter 6. One of the best chapters in all of scripture. Please go home, take the time to read through Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read a large portion of it here. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeshua says, for this reason, verses 25 through 34 here. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they are? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to your life? In fact, we know the opposite is true. The more you worry, the more you take off of your lifespan. And why are you worried about clothing? Or uh, Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if Elohim so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the nations eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has trouble enough of its own. Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Here's the thing about that. If you're not worried about tomorrow, it frees you up to be your absolute best today. If we aren't consumed by the what ifs of what will happen tomorrow, then we're not distracted. We're able to focus on what's going on right here, right now, and excel in what we're doing rather than spending our time and energy focusing on what if? If we back up a little bit in this chapter, verses 9 through 13 say, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread. In that prayer, Yeshua doesn't teach them to pray for things tomorrow about what's coming tomorrow. He doesn't tell them to pray for tomorrow's bread or next week's bread, but for today's bread. 
in that prayer, there's no worrying about tomorrow's circumstances or how you might obtain bread when the situation changes. It's about, give us this day our daily bread. Help us to excel in the moment that we're in. Ephraim made reference earlier to being in the present. In the wilderness, manna was given each day. And this is the example that we have. See, there are so many different levels that we can look at this passage in Matthew chapter 6 as. Because he's saying, give us this day our daily bread. It's a pattern of what took place in the wilderness because the manna was new every day. It would spoil if you kept it overnight. You couldn't hoard it. You could only accept that which he provided for you and it was enough. If you did not collect enough, supernaturally it became enough. If you collected too much, supernaturally it dissipated because the manna was enough for you for that day. And every day it was provided for you. If you just went out and accepted it. And this is a picture of the one who is the bread of life, who every day, if we go out and collect it, will sustain us. But it requires for us to go out and collect it. Because the man is not going to magically jump off of the ground into your mouth. And this word is not going to somehow supernaturally jump off the page into your mind unless you're putting it there. This implies going to him daily because it says the prayer is give us this day our daily bread. Well, that prayer won't work tomorrow if you don't pray it again, right? So it's a daily process. Each day we're to go to him and pray for help for what we need this day. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year. Today, how can I serve you? Today, how can I be a blessing to others as you sustain me? If we're going to him daily for our sustenance, then we have nothing to be anxious about, nothing to worry over, nothing to be fearful about. Because we're focused on this day. The day that he has made. I will rejoice and be glad in the day that he has made. I quoted from Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 earlier. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Yeshua said this in John chapter 20 verse 29. This is the context here is when he's speaking to Thomas who came to see the scars in his wrists and his feet. Yeshua's response to him is, because you've seen me, you have believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Sometimes it seems like all we can see is our problems and circumstances that are put in front of us the things we're dealing with, the things that we're worried about, that we're consumed with. Instead of dwelling on those problems, let's follow the advice of Paul 
In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to Elohim. Father, thank you for putting me in this position where my hands are bound and I'm being thrown into the fire. Because I know you are faithful and you, O king, will deliver me. If we're walking with that kind of a champion's attitude, then we're walking in the examples that were given in Hebrews chapter 11 with the type of faith that will be heard of generations later. Because when we do that, as we read on here, Paul says, and the peace of Elohim, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Messiah Yeshua. In other words, when we don't look at those problems, those circumstances, but instead look to him, and we submit ourselves to him, he makes them disappear from our sight. And we find our peace in him. Now, on the other hand, if we don't learn to do that, if instead we stick with our worry, our anxiety, our fear, you can look up all the studies you want to. Chronic worry creates stress. Stress leads to sickness. Your body was not designed to be under constant stress, which occurs when you have constant worry. Chronic worry, chronic anxiety is like water torture. Water torture. You're strapped down to a table. Trip. 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 I got this. Trip. No big deal. Trip. Trip. It's just water. Trip. Trip. It's insignificant. Trip. Trip. Until it starts to become annoying, hours later, drip, drip. Until hours after that, it becomes louder than a sledgehammer and every bit as painful. That's what worry does. There's a phrase that's repeated over 300 times in the Tanakh. It's the Hebrew phrase, al-tirah. Everyone say that, al-tirah. Al-tirah. Get to know that phrase. I'm going to give you some verses that it's in. It first occurs in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. It says there, After these things, the word of Adonai came to Avram in a vision, saying, Al-tirah. Do not fear, Avram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. We see it again in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous, Al-tirah, do not be afraid or tremble at them, for Adonai, your Elohim, is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you, nor will he forsake you. We see it again in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Al-tirah, do not tremble or be dismayed, for Adonai, your Elohim, is with you wherever you go even if it's into a fire. We see it yet again in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. 
Al-Tirah, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about, for I am your Elohim. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The 23rd Psalm. It's one of our favorites, right? It says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It doesn't say, I won't encounter evil. It says, I will fear no evil. Every day, we have a choice to make. We can choose to live in fear and in anxiety, or we can choose to find our peace in the good shepherd, the one who is leading us, the one who has said he is always with us. Psalm 31 Verse 24, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in Adonai. Fix your hope upon Messiah and allow him to show you that he is with you through whatever circumstance you might find yourself, through whatever challenge or trial you might find yourself facing. He is with you. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden upon Adonai. And he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Peter says in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In him we have nothing to worry about. John says in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 18, Perfect love casts out fear. Let the one who demonstrated his perfect love for you by dying a bloody, gruesome death on a cross on your behalf, cast that fear right out of your life because he's more than capable of doing so. Whatever it is that causes you anxiety, it fades to nothing when you're in his presence. Let's strive each and every day to cast our cares upon him for he cares for us. Give your fears, your doubts, your worry to the one who walks through the fire for you. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light and you will find rest for your soul. Father, we thank you that you are such a good Father, that you have indeed provided for us a way of escape that we shall not be tempted by anything that is too great for us. It only becomes too great when we focus on ourselves instead of focusing on you. Forgive us, Lord, for those times that we have done so. Forgive us, King, for failing to make the declaration that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah made for failing to confess that you are greater than anything. We ask that you would be with us in the midst of the fire, in the midst of our struggles, our challenges, our failures. May we not be overcome by those things, but may we understand 
that we serve an overcomer. One who is more than capable and one who has promised us peace, shalom. So Father, we submit our lives to you. We surrender our circumstances to you. And we pray that you would make yourself great through the midst of our trials. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Amen. If we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke unto Moshe and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom. Shalom.